chapter of the book of Exodus. Well, tonight is blood moon, super moon, blood moon. Should be able to see it, they said, around 10 o'clock or so. So, by the time we get out of church, you'll be able to see it. Okay? Lord willing. All right, the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus. If you're there, say praise the Lord. been looking at the plagues, uh, the judgments of God upon the land of Egypt. We're going to look at the eighth and the ninth plague this morning. The judgments of God just falling upon the land of Egypt as Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and not allow the people of God to go. So we come to the eighth and the ninth plague. Chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord said unto Moses... Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that thou mightest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. They shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hell and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. All right, let's go over uh, to verse 21. Same chapter. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty presence. We acknowledge you, Lord God, as being here this morning, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for your anointing, O God, to preach and teach your word and to receive it. We thank you in advance, God, for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, as we have seen, Pharaoh has continually hardened his heart toward the commandments of God to allow the people of God to leave Egypt. Verse 1, chapter 10 once again, the Bible says, The Lord says to Moses to go in unto Pharaoh. For God says, I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show these my signs before him. So we see in this verse that now God, as in a previous verse, 
the scripture says that the Lord is hardening in his heart. Obviously, because Pharaoh has disobeyed the Lord and is not obeying his command to let the people of God go. So now as a result of that, his heart just gets harder and harder and harder. The result of his disobedience to God. So that now the Lord is hardening his heart. He's in a place now where he no longer is able to feel. When a person begins to move in this type of lifestyle, when they begin to reject the word of the Lord in their life and disobey God's word in their life, what will happen is their heart will get harder and harder and harder. Pretty soon, they will lose their ability to feel. And this is what is happening to Pharaoh. He is losing slowly and gradually by his disobedience to God, his ability to feel anything spiritually. So it's a very dangerous thing to put yourself in a position to where when you hear the Word of God, the commandments of God, that you don't obey that, refuse to hear that, because as you do, it's going to get harder for you to hear it and believe it and also to have spiritual feelings as you go forward. And so we see once again that Lord is giving this man an opportunity to repent, uh, shows the great sin of Pharaoh that God has to keep coming to him and calling him to repent. The great sin of Pharaoh, but also the great grace of God, giving this man multiple opportunities to repent of his rebellion and hard-heartedness. The reason for it, the reason why God is sending these judgments is given in three that's. The first that, it says in verse 1, that I might show these my signs before Him. Number one, that the power of God would be manifested over the false gods of Egypt. Okay? The first purpose. Second purpose, he says, and that thou mayest tell in thy ears of thy son and of thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them. Number two, is that there could be a testimony to the acts of God. And that testimony is to be shared with the people's children so that as they come out of Egypt, the people then testify the mighty acts of God, what God had done in their life and on their behalf. The third thing the Scripture says, um, the latter part of verse 2, that you may know how that I am the Lord. Okay? So the first reason is that His power would be manifested over all the false gods. Number two, that there would be a testimony from these people to their children about the mighty acts of God. And number three, that they may know the Lord, how God is, how He works. Okay? A knowledge of God. So these signs were done so that people would have a knowledge or revelation of the Lord God. So the three that's, the reasons why these judgments are calling coming upon the land of Egypt. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. The seventh time that God sends Moses to Pharaoh the seventh time he says, let my people go. 
So once again, we see the great sin of Pharaoh by not obeying God quickly. The grace of God and the fact that Moses is coming to him multiple times, giving him another opportunity to repent and to let the people of God go. The Bible says also, if you'll notice, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself? So the motivation of Pharaoh as to why he repeatedly disobeys the Lord and refused to let the people of God go is once again given to us, and that is his pride. He refuses to humble himself and obey the word of the Lord, his pride. Pride is a devilish thing. It's a damnable thing. It will destroy uh, people's lives. It will destroy nations. It is a horrible thing. It's a thing that caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. It caused the fall of man in the garden, pride of life. It's a horrible thing to allow yourself uh, to have in your life. So this is the reason why Pharaoh refuses to obey God is because pride is in his life. Okay? Verse 4, Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust into thy coast. So once again, the grace of God. He says, tomorrow. See, Pharaoh gets a warning from the Lord. If he doesn't obey, then God's going to send another judgment. But he said, it's not going to come until tomorrow. Nobody can ever say, never ever blame God that they didn't have time to get ready. God gives everybody plenty of time to get ready. Plenty of time to repent. Plenty of time to be saved, plenty of time to prepare themselves, amen, in a way that the judgments of God will not come upon them. And somebody says, well, I just didn't have time. No, God gives us plenty of time. Today's the day of salvation, though. You, you and I don't have a promise of tomorrow. So we've got to do with today what we need to do when it comes to the things of God. But you and I can never say ever or blame God that we didn't have enough time to get right with the Lord. So the Bible says once again, verse 4, Behold, tomorrow. So Pharaoh still got plenty of time. He can make a decision. Either repent and obey God. Amen. Be spared the judgment. Or his decision will bring the judgments of God upon him and the land. But he's got plenty of time to do it. He's been warned. He just needs to make the decision. Now, the Bible says, uh, verse 4, else. So God says, this is what's going to happen. Else. Right? If thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locust into thy coast. The Bible says in verse, let's go over and look. How's God going to do this? Verse 13. Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. This is also interesting because the wind normally blows from the south in Egypt, but God says, I'm going to bring an east wind. It's a supernatural event. It's not a natural phenomenon. It is a supernatural event and it shows that God is in control even over the territories of Egypt, okay, with the direction of the wind. 
So Pharaoh is not going to obey. He's going to disobey the word of the Lord and the judgment's going to come. God's going to bring these locusts by an east wind. And the Bible says, verse 5, they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to use or to see, excuse me, see the earth. They shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hell, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. There will be so many of them, later on he will say so many of them that it had never happened before. And it's going to be so many locusts that it's going to darken the sky. Now sometimes you can see maybe uh, the History Channel various times in history where locusts or grasshoppers or whatever, so many of them, they just feel the land. And there's so many of them, they blot out the sun. Well, the Bible says that when God sends this judgment of locusts, there's going to be so many of them that it had never been like that before. And it's going to darken the sun. That's just a massive amount of locusts that are going to cover the land. And everything that the hell had left behind, the trees and, and all of the vegetation and the greenery is going to be wiped out by this severe judgment of God. So just literally millions and millions, probably billions of locusts are going to fill the land of Egypt. It's not just going to cover the outside. It's going to get in their houses, verse 6. The houses of the servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. So it's going to be a devastating, destructive plague from God. Supernatural. It's not going to be a natural event. God's going to control the wind, the direction of the wind from the east to bring this massive, massive army of locusts to devastate the land of Egypt uh, in this eighth plague. The Bible says, and he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh, verse 6. So as soon as Moses declares this judgment's going to come upon the land, I want you to notice something. It's, it's a non-negotiable event. Okay? Moses doesn't stand there with Pharaoh and negotiate. He's already told uh, Pharaoh what God is requiring. There's no negotiation here. It's non-negotiable. So once Pharaoh hardens his heart, God says, you've made a decision. And that decision is going to bring the judgment of God upon you. And it's a non-negotiable event. Okay, We're not going to negotiate here. Are you with me? And as soon as he delivers that message, then the Bible says we have the departure. He turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Okay? So basically, the tenor is, the tone of voice here in the, in the Word is that Moses is expressing his total contempt of this man. Okay? Because Pharaoh will not obey the Lord's word. He disobeys continually, hardening his heart against God. So Moses said, all right, the judgment's going to come. He delivers that message. He turns around and he walks right out of the presence of Pharaoh, showing contempt. Okay? It's a non-negotiable event. Got somebody that keeps repeatedly hardening his heart against God? There will come a time, amen, when they will be held in contempt. And that's what's happening here. This man is being held in contempt by Moses. 
Verse 7, And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, You see, they've been already been through seven other plagues. And another plague is fixing to hit their land. And Pharaoh just keeps hardening his heart. He won't obey the Lord. But God's got the servants' attention at this point. And the servants begin to talk to Pharaoh because they don't want another plague to hit their land. And the servants say unto Pharaoh, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Good advice. You know? It's sad though that Pharaoh couldn't come to that decision. (laughs) His servants came to that decision. Basically what they said is, you need to stop procrastinating. Your procrastination is bringing another judgment upon us. How long? You need to stop procrastinating, Pharaoh. I mean, this is coming from pagan servants. Amen. That's good advice, isn't it? The people that procrastinate in obeying God. And God just keeps hammering and judgment after another judgment just keeps coming upon them. It's good advice to be told by somebody you need to stop putting this off. You need to stop procrastinating in the area of your obedience to God. You are setting a pattern in your life. When you procrastinate in disobeying God, or obeying God, I should say, you're setting a pattern in your life. So what we have here is even these pagan servants of Pharaoh are telling him good advice. You need to stop procrastinating. Amen. How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Number two thing it says is, you need to stop procrastinating, number one. Number two, you need to obey God. Because if you don't obey God, another judgment's going to come. See, they're exercising some faith in the Word of God that Pharaoh's not exercising. They've already seen a prophecy come multiple times that if he doesn't obey God, the judgments of God are going to come and they have come to pass to the letter 100% accuracy, not 95%, 100% accuracy. And so they're telling this man, you're procrastinating, you need to let these people go, you need to obey. Amen? Good advice. Number three, knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? What a slap in the face. I mean, you know, the servant's saying, hey, just look around, Pharaoh. Don't you see our land is devastated by judgments? Stop procrastinating. Start obeying the word of the Lord. You know, because another judgment's going to come. And, and, and so what we see here, that it's really a slap in the face of Pharaoh and his intelligence. I mean, even these servants can look around and see that one judgment after another has come because, as a result of disobeying God Almighty. And they have to tell the man, don't you see the destruction? The land of Egypt is destroyed. All I can say is that Pharaoh is pretty stupid. I mean, no, seriously, I'm not, I'm not just throwing out a word here. I'm telling you that, 
That's a reality. And I've told you before as we've gone through the book of Exodus that sin makes people stupid. Sin doesn't make... If there's sin in my life, there's sin in your life. You're not... You're not not getting smarter you're getting dumber okay because sin will make you dumb and Pharaoh is so dumb that his servants tell him hey look can't you tell the land of Egypt is destroyed slap in the face just slaps him he slaps intelligence his intelligence or the lack thereof right up you know I mean, even the servants can put two and two together and say, hey, okay, all right, you're procrastinating, you're disobeying God, judgment after judgment has come, the land is destroyed. Hey, Pharaoh, the land is destroyed. Where's your intelligence? Pride. Pride and sin makes people really stupid. And they do really stupid things. Amen? God just keeps coming in His compassion and in His grace and in His mercy. He brings His Word constantly. And people who harden their heart and rebel against God and disobey His Word, judgments after judgments coming upon them, procrastinating their obedience to God. And now look at all the destruction. You can't see it for yourself. Pharaoh, you can't see it for yourself. Your decisions are not good. It's bringing one problem after another upon your life. So even these servants are giving him good advice. Stop procrastinating. Obey God. Let the people go. Look at the land. It's already destroyed. Amen. doesn't seem like Pharaoh's tired of the judgments. See, that's so how hard people's hearts are. You want to know how hard a person's heart is. Look at Pharaoh. How desperately wicked the heart is. And and Lord willing, tonight I'm going to teach you on some very important things that you need to know about the Pope, the Black Pope, and the White Pope. I didn't know if you knew that there was a Black Pope and a White Pope. I'm not talking about the color of the skin. But there's some things you need to know about the white pope and the way he thinks and the way he functions and you know his duplicity and what's he really all about. You need to know these things. And and some of the things just give you a little bit of an idea he's caught up in imagination. Emotion. Okay? Over the Word of God. Are y'all with me here? So what, what happens is this. Is that the heart is desperately wicked. You can't rely upon your feelings, your emotions. You've got to go by the Word of God. You go by feelings and emotion, man, you're going to get in big trouble. Okay? So this man right here, it's just an example of how hard-hearted people are. And I think about the book of Revelation, the events of the end times, the, the judgments of God, the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowls of wrath, those series of 21 judgments in the book of Revelation that are going to come upon this earth. And you would think that with the first judgment, people would start repenting 
and turning to God, repenting of their sin. But the Bible says, even after multiple judgments fall upon the earth, the Bible said they continue in their sin. And I'm talking about severe judgments. I'm talking about the hand of God coming upon people. But people are so hard-hearted that they can experience one judgment after another, devastation after another, and that old hard heart refuses to yield to God Almighty. It's sad. But this man has experienced one judgment after another, but he still won't do what God is telling him to do. The heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah said it. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't go by your imagination. You can't go by your feelings on things. you got to go by the Word of God. Amen. You can't give yourself to that. This man right here, this, this Pharaoh is giving himself to his hard-heartedness He's bringing the judgment of God on himself. He's bringing the judgment of God on his family. He's bringing the judgment of God on his servants. A whole nation experienced the judgment of God because this man's going by his heart. Sad. You with me here? So even the servants are encouraging him. You with me here? Okay. So verse 8, And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. Alright, let's have dialogue. You know? At least the servants have got him to make that decision. Let's have some dialogue with Moses and Aaron. The problem about dialogue, and we're going to see it in just a minute, all it is is going to produce more compromise. Something I have heard in the last few days multiple times, okay, from religious leaders and others, is that we need more dialogue. Well, I can, I can agree with that to a point that we need to have more conversation and more dialogue, but the problem is, is that the kind of dialogue they're talking about it's not a dialogue that calls people to repent of sin and turn to God. It is, it's a dialogue that is rooted in compromise. Compromising morality. Compromising with homosexuality. Compromising. Just that's, that's what they want to dialogue about is how much more we can compromise. And when Moses and Aaron is called back into the presence of Pharaoh, now, are you with me? Amen. If you take time, you'll see what I'm saying is true. Take time and read the transcripts. I've taken time to read the transcripts of, of the religious leader that's in America right now. And the, and the main focal point of that religious leader is we need more dialogue. Let's talk about it. God has already declared what the truth is. In His Word. You, if you want a dialogue, you dialogue the Word of God. You, you don't sit down and dialogue about how we're going to compromise now. See, maybe some of you don't realize this, but this whole event's been planned for a long time. Okay? Dialoguing 
about homosexuality, dialoguing. Okay, about abortion, dialoguing. The renewal. Let's let's move out of the crisis time into the renewal for this religion. It's been planned for a long time. So when they when they come into the world, man, they come into America and they start talking about dialogue. And I'm telling you, I've read the transcripts. It's a word that is repeated throughout. They're not talking about we need to repent. They're talking about how we can compromise. And, and they say, with this new world, we live in a new world. It's different than what it used to be. You see what I'm saying? So the dialogue is not how we can repent and obey the Word of God. The dialogue is about how you can disobey God's Word. So when Pharaoh sends for Moses and Aaron, he wants to have dialogue. But the dialogue will not produce obedience. The dialogue is going to be about, okay, let's figure out a compromise here. Let's see what we can do to compromise. I don't want to bore you, but really what's happening here in this story is it applies to what's going on in our world today. Okay? Now, you're smart people. I believe you're smart people. You need to think. We've got to think. The problem with Americans is we don't think much. We are an emotional people. We are given to emotion. We're, we're given to the imaginations of our mind. We're given to what we feel in our heart over the Word of God. And you start dialoguing out of your heart, you're going to compromise. And so when he calls for Moses and Aaron and he has no intention of obeying God's Word at all, he's come up with a plan. And that plan is how we can compromise. Okay? Let's see what he says. How many understand what I'm saying? If you're not careful, I don't want to preach what I'm going to preach tonight, but if you're not careful, you'll be swept emotionally into compromise. Okay? Amen. So he calls for Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron were brought again into Pharaoh. Verse 8, He said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that shall go? Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds, all we... Uh, Hurts, will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. He said, we're taking everything and everybody. We're not leaving anybody behind. We're taking the old. We're taking the young. We're taking our flocks. We're not leaving anything behind. We're taking it all. Alright? Alright. First part of the dialogue. With Pharaoh. Who's going? Moses said, Everybody and everything. No compromise in Moses at all. Amen? Verse 10, He said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones look to it for evil is before you. You, you need to leave your kids behind. 
Because if you take your children with you, there's danger. Sounds real good, doesn't it? See, you have to have a lot of discernment. Because when the devil starts talking, sometimes it sounds real good, real appealing. Don't take your children with you because if you take your children, there, there might be some, something might happen to them. So why don't you just leave your kids behind and, and we'll take care of them, we'll protect them, we'll watch over them. Sounds like he cares about Israel's children. He doesn't care one thing about the children. You understand what I'm saying? But when he comes across, he comes across, he's hiding his true colors, which is exactly what's going on right now. He comes across as a caring leader, as a caring individual. I care about your kids. Leave them behind. Don't take them with you because there could be some danger there. If you don't have discernment like Moses, you haven't heard from God's Word, you might be tempted to say, okay, yeah, we'll go out there and We'll serve God. We'll come back, but we don't want you know our kids to get in danger. So that's a good plan, Pharaoh. No, Moses said we're taking our children with us. We're not leaving our children behind. The enemy comes to us this way many times. He comes to you and he speaks to you about God concerning your children. He will tell you. Don't raise your children up to fear God. Are you awake? Don't do that. Don't raise them to fear God. Oh, hey. Let them make up their own mind. Mistake? God nowhere in His Bible tells you to let your children make up their own mind. I hear the devil talking. Obviously, they, they become adults. They make their, their decisions. But when they make their decisions, there have to be consequence. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And when the devil comes to me and tells me, I'll leave my kids behind. Let them make up their own mind. Don't, don't raise them up in the fear of God. No, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. What God said about Abraham. I know you, Abraham. I know Abraham. Abraham will command his children before me. And Abraham is the father of the faithful. Abraham is our representative. So when I look at Abraham, I can make decisions in my life concerning my children, and that is this, that I will command my children to serve the Lord. That's what Abraham did. 
And when you serve God the way Abraham served God, you will raise your children in the fear of God. You will command them to serve God. Amen. How many of y'all believe the Word of God today? Well, I don't want to be, you know, too strict with them. Because I don't want to drive them away from the Lord, say some. I hear the devil talking again. That is one of the tricks of the enemy to try to get you to leave your kids behind is that, well, I just don't want to drive them away from God. Foolish. Well, I don't want it to be too restrictive. I don't want it to be too strict because I'm going to drive them away from God. No, what's going to end up happening is this. If you take that approach, they will rebel against you before they rebel against God. But they will rebel against you and they will rebel against God Almighty and hate you. Because you did not command them. You did not raise them up to fear God. You, you swallowed the philosophy that you didn't want to drive them away from God. And maybe in your mind you said, well, they just don't understand anyway. Lies from the pit. They will grow up hating you and hating God if you leave it up to them. You hear your pastor. So when these philosophies come to you like that, you need to cast them down as vain imaginations. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Amen? And I'm going to raise my children, and one of them's already grown. She's here today. I'm going to raise them to fear God. I'm going to raise them on the straight and narrow. I'm not going to fall for the lie, and I got one still at home that says, you know, if you're too strict, you can drive them away from God. I'm not going to fall for that foolishness. Amen. I'm not leaving my kids behind. Say praise the Lord. I hope this helps you today. This is why in the Old Testament law that God said in the Old Testament law if a child rebels and we're not talking about a little kid we're talking about a mature teenager at that point if a child rebels against the parent, you take them out and you stone them to death. Put away evil from Israel. But that's too strict. We'll push them away from God. No, that came from God Himself. He said, you allow, he said, rebellion must be dealt with and it must be dealt with severely. 
So there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of philosophy. You don't have to look down the whole time. You can look up at me. I'm trying to help you. A lot of psychology that, that gets inside of people much more than we even realize. And then we look up and we got, as a result of our kids rebelling against us and rebelling against God, we have total confusion and chaos in our homes. Amen. But that's what the devil wants to tell you. And it sounds real good, doesn't it? No, you need to say, I hear the voice of the enemy. Amen. There's no way that I know I'm not in your house every day watching how you raise your kids and the decisions you make, you know, in your house concerning your kids. But there's one thing I can do as your pastors, I can cancel these philosophies and psychologies that are not based in the Word of God that are rooted in emotion. And they're rooted in humanism. They're not in the Bible. How many of y'all want God's Word? Say, well, they say, well, you know, don't be too strict. Don't push them away from God. If you're not strict, if you don't command them to live for God, you'll have just the opposite result. They'll hate you and God. Is that what you want? Dialogue. Some of us have been long in the, in the church long enough to know the difference, right? When when the dialogue is pr- producing some kind of compromise, say amen. amen. Come on. Let me say this to you. If I stand up here and I preach the Word of God and I preach the standard of God, the holiness of God, what He requires to you, to your family, to this church, to myself and my family, I've done the right thing. Okay? And rebellion might come up in the children. They might say, well, it's just too, too hard. It's too strict. It's too restrictive. It's in the Word. Do you want to go to heaven? Jesus said the path that leads to eternal life is straight and it's narrow. Son, do you want to go to heaven? It's straight and narrow. It is restrictive. Through much tribulation, you must enter the kingdom of God. That means... A lot of battle, a lot of pressure, a lot of struggle. No such thing as he preached as being a passive Christian. Well, you can just sit back and hope that you end up there. You gotta keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You gotta keep taking a stand. 
you want to have a dialogue with me, or if my kids want to have a dialogue with me, you know what the dialogue is? This is what God says. End of story. I'm, I'm not about to be negotiating this. I'm not going to be in a negotiable situation here. This is what God says. This is it. Okay? And I put a period on it. You want a dialogue and you want to try to get out of, of obeying God. I'm not going to have that dialogue. Amen? Pharaoh says, leave the children behind. So many churches, when the Word of God is going forth, amen, and worship is going forth, you know where they send the kids? To the gym. That's what Pharaoh says. Send them to the gym. Don't let them be a part of the worship. They're going to be bored by worship. No, send them off. Separate them from the worship of the church. Send them over to the gym. Let them have a good time. God's no killjoy. We have a good time serving the Lord. But the children need to participate in worship. And, and this, this church, I'm just, I'm not getting too excited here. I'm just telling you things. But this church loves to worship God. And our children are right there with you. You, you, you teach them to worship. You teach them to run. You teach them to praise. You teach them the Word of God. You teach, teach them right and wrong. You teach them the commandments of God. You don't teach them how to compromise. Amen. Children, children are not biased. Children have to that you have to teach your child to be racial. Children aren't racial. You see children all kinds of different nationalities are playing with each other just fine. If they're racial, they learned it from you. I had to correct a situation yesterday that happened. It's not a, not a huge deal, but you know, going back to Pharaoh's pride, notice how Moses and Aaron handled that? They rebuke it. They don't compromise with it. They rebuke pride. See, what happens today a lot of times is people don't rebuke pride. Um, they excuse pride and they call it, well, they just need self-esteem. No, pride must re be rebuked you don't excuse pride and call it self-esteem. And I had to deal with a situation yesterday. There's individual, and I'm watching it real close, and I'm watching the group as a whole. Popping off, making a statement about somebody that got a medal, you know, and said something like, well, there's not very many people running in, her, in their race. I'm going... I told them, I said, this is a Christian team. I said, when somebody does well, you are to 
be excited about their accomplishments. Okay? You let their... I said, you let your accomplishments speak for itself. Okay? But what that's what is that about? Well, they got a medal because there wasn't many people running in their race. So, are you saying... If you don't get a medal, it's because there were more people running in yours. Are you already trying to make an excuse for yourself? And I'm telling you, friend, it's something I'm trying to, you know, teach them when I when I have an opportunity. Is that you're a team, you're a Christian team. You need um, to support each other. You need to celebrate the accomplishments of other people. Instead of always popping off about how great you are. Or somebody accomplished something because of this and that. I'm telling you, they learned it from somewhere. Because most most children, when they see the accomplishments of somebody else, most children say, hey, let me see. That's great. Unless they go home, and they're hearing something else. Mm-mm. That's something I always try to do. When it, especially when it comes to children, kids, is they might not have been the, the, the fastest runner in the event, but I always try to go making a point and say, you did good. Keep training hard. If you can't tell somebody else other than the person related to you that they did good, you got a big problem. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm working even with the kids, even, even in sports and things like that. You know what I'm saying? It's important, isn't it? What are you saying, Pastor? I'm just saying to you this. Is that by nature, children are not like that. They're not racial. They're not biased. They had to learn it somewhere. God help us if we taught them. We should be teaching them. You work hard. You train hard. You're going to do just as well. But you got to put forth the effort. Okay, say amen. Now, I'm, I'm kind of going down a rabbit trail here, but... Not long ago, there's a man who, I think he still plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think his name's Harris. I'm, I might be forgetting his name. And his kids receive all kinds of trophies for participation. They're called participation trophies. He said, we're giving them all back. If you get a trophy, it's because you earned it, not because you participated. I think that's a good message. Because it teaches discipline. It teaches them that they got to work hard. they got to train hard to accomplish something in life. That it, life is not just you know an entitlement to them. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm just giving you a few little things to think about. You have to teach them. Well, I'm going to let them think the way they want to think. No, you've got to tell them how to think. <laughs> no, you're going to think like this. Now, obviously, they're going to grow up and become adults like you. 
Then send them to me. Say, Pastor, I can't tell them how to think anymore. You send them to me, I'll tell them how to think. Well, you want to control my mind. No, I'm going to give you the Word of God. I'm not going to try to control your mind. Do they have respect? Do they show respect? How do they talk? Do they respect other people? Do you understand what I'm saying? When they were little kids, they didn't have a lot of this stuff. They learned it from us. Pride, arrogance. And in some cases... That parent hasn't accomplished much in life, but for whatever reason, it's called pride. Gets a hold of our kids. Let's teach our, let's teach our kids their, to, to be a Christian, you know? I, I don't want to be just a pastor, church. Some, some, be honest with you, sometimes when, when I pastor and, and hard decisions that I have to make and correction and discipline, I don't like being that. Because I want to be a Christian. I want to talk like a Christian. I want to act like a Christian. You say, well, when you correct... I know, but it's different. We have to teach our kids. We can't leave them behind. We've got to teach them, you're a Christian. We're going to live like a Christian. We're going to talk like a Christian. We're going to respect like a Christian. Amen. The devil comes and says, no, leave them behind. Let the world have them. I say, no. I'm not letting the world have them. I'm not leaving them behind. You have to put those values in them. Church is valuable. Brother talked about it. You have to protect the, those things that are valuable, brothers and sisters. We've got to protect them. The church is important. Being in church is important. No, leave the kids behind. If you leave the kids behind, there will be less people to worship Him. That's what the enemy wants. He wants less attendance in church. Not more attendance in church, but less attendance in church. Leave the kids behind. I, I preached when I was... I think I was going through the book of Acts. I don't remember every time where I am in the Bible, but I was telling you all that the church of the living God is one generation from extinction. One generation. And if I don't put Christian values into my children, if I don't teach them the ways of God, if I don't command them in the ways of God, if I just let them figure it out on their own and decide on their own, they're going to decide the wrong way. Look at Europe. Christianity for the most part is gone. Some of the great preachers of history came out of, uh, of, of great, great Britain, Europe. Great preachers. Their nation for the most part has departed from Christianity. It's happening to America right now. There's a, there's a gap 
Children need to be taught to value the church. Raise, raise them up in the things of God. The church is important. God's important. The Word of God is important. Prayer is important. Worship is important. Giving your tithes to God is important. Serving God is important. And I'm thankful today that I'm preaching to a congregation that believes what I'm saying. I'm not preaching this because I think you don't believe it. I, you do believe it. But you have to instill those Christian principles into your kids. And if they're doing things or saying things or acting a certain way with an attitude that's not Christian, you've got to tell them. We don't act like that around here. We don't talk like that around here. We don't listen to that. We don't, we don't go there. We don't watch that. You have to put it in them, church. How many of y'all believe the Word of the Lord? So if we teach our kids it's not important to go to church, we can miss church, a lot of church. We can miss a lot of church and it's okay. They're going to think the same way. See, children learn not by just what we say, but they learn by example, brother. And I can, I can talk all day long about how, you know, we're Christians, we're a Christian house. Well, we go to church. But they hear me say one thing and they see me live a different thing. You're going to raise hypocrites. They have to see in my life, in your life, Christianity lived day by day by day by day. You know, we shouldn't use words like that. And you know, you get the point. You're an adult congregation. I don't have to, you know, get the coloring book and paint all the lines in for you. (laughs) Y'all are smart people. You do know what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes you don't want to say, hey, you don't always want to be on it, but you have to. Amen? Amen. The way I look at it, I've only got 17 or 18 years. That's all I got. Okay, until they become an adult, pretty much they go on their own. That's all I've got. I'm going to put as much of the Word of God in them. I'm going to put as much prayer on them. I'm going to bring them to church as as often as I possibly can. I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to tell them right and wrong, right and wrong, right and wrong until they're sick of hearing it. Because at some point, our children will marry some of your children. Praise the Lord. I want my son to be a good husband. I'm wanting to marry a good girl. And so that means that whoever that might be, you've got a big responsibility on your hands to teach her how to be a woman of God. So I'm going to do my part. I promise you I'm going to do my part to raise my son to be a, a Christian young man. Don't have much time. Okay? Those are the things that happen, you know, in Sunday school. We could just let them go, right? This one said that, that one said this, and that, 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 you know how it goes. And we could, I ain't messing with that. That's just, no. I gotta get in the middle of that one. Not here. 
God help all of us. Then when it's brought to our attention, we don't take the side of the kid until we know for sure what's happened. We can all make the mistake. You know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. You're gonna, in this case, you're gonna get out of your kids what you put in them. I want to put the right things, don't you? And I think you do too, and I love you. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. Okay. If you've done everything you possibly can, and you haven't fall, fall, fallen for some of these lies that we've gone through, and you've done, you've told the line, man, you've commanded your children before the Lord, and they're not in the church yet, that doesn't mean that that, that Scripture is not being effective. They have to run a long ways to get away from it. Say amen. And the only time I feel, personally, the only time I feel, and I'm just talking to you, the only time I ever have to really, you know, ask somebody to not attend service or put them out or whatever, is if they are creating danger for you or your kids. And that's the case at times. You understand? That's hard. Difficult situations. You have situations in your house that are full of confusion and chaos and rebellion and disobedience. You've got to do something with that. Because if you let it go in that child, it's going to affect that child. And it's going to affect that child. Amen. Amen. Are you with me? I'm fixing to go on. But I had a family come in into my office not long ago and with a problem with one of their children. They're accountable. Brought them in, set them down before me. And this child was having creating problems. And I look at this child, and the parents were there. Don't you realize that when you act up, that you're creating problems for other kids in your house? I said, don't you know when you do this, then they're going to see you do that and they're going to start acting just like you and pretty soon you've got anarchy and chaos and confusion in your house. See, probably from their perspective, it was what they were doing. You know? And it was only affecting them. I said, no, you need to understand what you're doing is affecting your whole house. Your mom, your dad, the other children in your house. So you can't do that. So when you make decisions, you have to make decisions in relationship of how this, how is this going to affect the other children in my house? Can't let it go. Can't let it go. Difficult. You're smart. You're smart. So Pharaoh says, leave the children behind. He's saying that to this generation. Leave the children behind. No, can't leave the children behind. God bless you. Hallelujah. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the time when you guys are going on to heaven and I get to pastor your children. I mean, because some of you driving me bananas, man. 
You know, my hope is, thank God the kids are not going to be like them. Now, that doesn't mean I want you. Don't, don't leave the church and say, he wants me to die. <laughs> say that. I'm just saying, you've been a challenge and you know it. You've been a challenge and you know it. I'm looking forward to, to pastoring your children. Amen. Protect the values. Protect things that are valuable. Okay. Hallelujah. You with me? After Moses dialogues with Pharaoh and Pharaoh puts this proposition before him to leave the kids behind. Verse 11 says again, Not so, go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. For that you did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Because Moses had already said, No, we're taking our children, we're taking our the elderly with us. We're not leaving the elder behind. Amen? I, I can't... Jesus, help us. When they, we get, they get older, alright? So we, we're going to leave our children behind. When they get older, we're just going to forget them, right? Can't forget them. If they're a part of the church. No, they're going with us. And so because of what Moses had said to Pharaoh, the Bible says they were driven out from the presence of the Lord. I mean, the presence of Pharaoh, sorry. <laughs> driven out from the presence of Pharaoh. He drove them out. Horrible mistake. Huge mistake. Because Moses refused to compromise in this area Pharaoh got mad he said get out of here sent the man of God away anytime in your life you allow the man of God to be removed from your life you are headed for big trouble it is Pharaoh that sends the man of God away. You don't have to be afraid of me. You don't have to be afraid of me in the sense that I'm not going to tell you something that goes contrary to the Word of God. I'm not going to ask you to do something that's going to violate the Scripture. But see, that's the trick of the enemy. is to send the man of God away from your life. Hey, if you're making good decisions, it, it doesn't hurt to sometimes check it. And I'm not always going to have all the answers and I'm not always going to say, you know, definitively, 
I had people come to me from time to time. They asked me about certain things. Should I do this? Should I not do this? I say, you make the decision. I don't make every decision for you. I said, people come to me Wednesday night. You know, pastor, what should we do? I said, you make the decision. One made one decision. The other one made a different decision. But they got to make their decision. I wasn't mad. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You have to be afraid of me. I don't want you to call me and ask me what color socks to wear. Amen. I have a hard time matching mine. All right. But it's just a trick of the enemy to separate you from your pastor. It doesn't help to separate from your pastor. So when Pharaoh sent them out, sending Moses and Aaron away, they were the ones that could help the man. Don't let anything come between you and your pastor. Distance. Dangerous. Dangerous. They have a responsibility to watch out for your soul. Okay? Can I believe that? Again, if you come to me, there's times I'm just going to tell you, you make the decision. You make the decision. I don't want to make every decision in your life. Okay? But Jared came to me with something the other day, you know, and he said his family was directing him a certain way. He said, well, what do you think? I said, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, but I'm not going to try to, you know, direct you away from what your family's telling you. He said, but I want you to tell me, Pastor. So, so you know, what his family told him, I don't remember all the details, but anyway, I told him, gave him my opinion. Well, God's blessing him. You know? Brother Jared, is all right, I share this. Brother Jared's in the process of getting him a home. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so there, there's, there's things that Y'all going to come to me with, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know, but I'll, they'll give you an opinion on something. You make the decision, though. Old home, new home. Go with the new. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Whatever. So I'm not going to try to make every decision in your life, but, but you need a pastor. You do need a pastor. So before you... Try to get rid of me. Think about it. <laughs> Amen. That's what the enemy wants. So Pharaoh sends him out. Verse 12, And Pharaoh said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the the Lord said unto Moses sorry stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land even all the hell that the hell hath left 
Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locust, and the locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coast of Egypt. Very grievous were they before them that were no before them. There was no such locust as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hell had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Wow. Once again, this is a judgment against a false god. There was a false god that they worshipped, Serapis. This false god was supposed to protect the land of Egypt against locust invasion. God said, I've got more power than your false god. I'm going to override his power and I'm going to send locusts into your land. Again, showing that he's the supreme god. He's got power for a testimony for your kids. You know? That He's the true God. Devastating. There remain not any green thing in the trees or the earth of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. Oh, I thought you wanted to get out of your face. Well, the judgment's come now. You want them. Didn't want them before. Now you want them. Here we go. This pretending to repent. He pretends to repent. He said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. Entreat the Lord your God that He may take away from me this death only. Amen. Again. Notice, I want you to notice this in his statement. This is why Moses is so wise. He is so wise. Because Pharaoh says, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Get rid of my trouble. Wrong again, Pharaoh. You should have said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. I'm letting the people go. That's true repentance. You know what I'm saying? Moses is pretty smart. That's one thing, Brother Jared. I pray for discernment. I pray for discernment. Somebody called me yesterday. I was talking to somebody yesterday on the phone. And they're not in church today. They should be. But they had a need in their life. They basically, okay, they're not living the way they should live. Let me put it to you that way. They had a need in their life. Man, they brought up, they brought me a story that you would not believe. And I said, after listening to it, I, okay, tell me what's really going on. That's really what's going on. I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, well, we have this need. I said, give me the contact information so I can contact these people. And I had in mind possibly helping them out. Give me the contact information of these people that you owe this money to. Why oh, can't do that? Why can't you do that? 
doesn't sound like your story is accurate. I said, okay, well, if you change your mind, you got my phone number. See, the problem is that if people come and they have these big stories, elaborate stories, right? You and I have to have a little bit of discernment to find out if it's true or not, if it's real or not. And sometimes all you can do is just ask some basic questions. You owe money to somebody? Tell me who it is. And I'll call them and I'll contact them. See, if they're going to use the money for something else... They're not going to give you contact information. Do you understand what I'm saying? They may take that money, get drugs and alcohol. They may take that money and pay extortioners with it. So the point being is this, is that when, when this man opened, and I'm just teaching you, I'm not preaching, I'm just teaching. When this man said what he said, you know, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Get rid of the trouble. Moses knew that his repentance wasn't genuine. He just wanted to get out of trouble. Okay, anybody here? Anybody hearing what the Word's saying? Are you hearing what the Word's saying? So that people come to you, man, I'm going to tell you something. When sometimes when people bring these stories to you, just the magnitude of them tells you. It doesn't sound... It might be partially right, but the magnitude of this thing tells me there's something off here. You know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even... It doesn't, even, doesn't sound even true to life. Okay? Magnitude. Come on. Now tell me the real truth. Okay? Just a few questions. And you can find ways if what they're telling you is the truth or not. Hallelujah. And I just love Moses for that. He has the ability to hear what's not being said. <laughs> and you have to have the ability to hear what's not being said. I love what Huckabee said in a recent debate. You have to have the ability to know what you don't know. You have to know what you don't know. You understand? You have to know that you don't know. If you think you know everything about everything, then you don't know that you don't know. You have to know what he really said was, you have to know that you don't know. There's some things I don't know. And I have to know that I don't know. And you have to have the ability to hear what's not being said. Not just what's being said. Man. See, I feel the Holy Ghost. Because God has downloaded into your life some wisdom. Okay? 
Because you and I have to get rid of some of the drama. I mean, I'm telling you, man, you talk about drama, I'm going, whoo, man, this would make a good movie. <laughs> say, praise the Lord. Now, I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking today. That would make a good movie, man. That would talk about a big deal. <laughs> so, as I could be said, you've got to know that you don't know. I say this, you've got to hear what's not being said. How many of y'all want to be tricked? I don't want to be tricked, do you? So if Pharaoh was really repentant, he would have done what God told him to do. But because, listen, because he's not willing to do what thus saith the Lord, you have information, knowledge, if that situation doesn't want to do what thus saith the Lord, then you know what they're saying is not true repentance. They're just looking for a way out of trouble. Okay. Lord Jesus, I mean, I'm trying to walk in wisdom. How many of y'all want to walk in wisdom? Verse 18, he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. So Moses, he knows that he's not, it's not true repentance, but he still entreats the Lord and the Lord removes the judgment. Now, the ninth judgment... Pharaoh, the Bible says his heart is still hardened. He's without feeling, spiritual feeling. Next judgment comes, number nine judgment, the darkness that comes that can be felt. This time, again, the pattern. No warning at all. The eighth judgment, the warnings came. Gave Pharaoh the opportunity to repent. When the ninth judgment comes, there's no opportunity for him to repent. There's no warning whatsoever with the ninth one. Okay? Verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Okay? They worship the sun god, Ra. In fact, Pharaoh is supposed to be a personification of Ra, the sun god. And God is saying, really, concerning who they would claim to be their chief deity, the sun god. God says, I'm the true God. I'm going to turn the light out on the sun. Okay? And it's not a natural, natural phenomenon. It's not a natural phenomenon. It is a supernatural event. It's not just because the sun went down and there was darkness. It lasted for three days. God did it. Okay? And some people, uh, theologians, try to explain some of these judgments away by natural phenomena, like there was just dust in the sky. 
No, it was a supernatural event. God sent darkness in the land. The Bible says a darkness that could be felt. It was so thick. No warning. It just came. No opportunity to repent. It just came. God showing He's got power over the heavens. He's got power over the sun. He's got power over the moon. There's a blood moon that's falling on the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? It's going to be seen in some parts of the world today and other parts of the world on a Monday. It is a supernatural event that's falling on one of God's feast days. God organized the day would happen. Signs in the heavens. End time signs. Wonder how that's going. Wonder what else God is going to do. Okay, are y'all getting tired? Getting. So, supernatural darkening of the sky. Supernatural darkening of the sun. So dark, it could be felt. So dark, there was inactivity. Okay? Will you stay with me a little longer? Can I finish this plague without you going to sleep? It was so dark, they couldn't continue life. Amen? Now hang with me. Watch this. Spiritual truths here. It could be felt. Verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their... Well, they couldn't do anything. Their whole life... Activity was shut down. Amen? Let me just bring it to you again because I, I, I already touched on this a little bit earlier about raising our children in the ways things of God and about how the enemy says don't be too strict because you're driving away from God. Stuff like that. Let me touch this just for a moment. Darkness is a type of sin. And darkness hinders your life. Sin deprives you of a good life. These people could not have a good life. They could not continue activities in life because of darkness. If I or you or anybody, if we give ourselves to sin, it is sin that deprives me of a good life. God is a good God. Some people, the devil again comes to them and says, well, living, living as a Christian is, is too restrictive. It's gonna, I won't be able to enjoy life. I remember when I first got into church, I was a teenager, you know, 18. Really as an adult. Whatever. And the enemy kept coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. You're not gonna get to enjoy life anymore. You're not gonna get to have fun anymore. You remember? Did he come and talk to you that way? I had friends in the world, okay, that I went to high school with. 
And when I told them I was going to live as a Christian now, starting stopping my partying, no more partying, no more foolishness anymore. I'm going to live as a Christian. I'll never forget it. I hope Rodney Creech gets this tape. I was over at Rodney Creech's house. Okay? And I'm not going to glorify what they were doing, but they were partying. And I'm not going to get into details because I don't glorify it. But they were partying at Rodney Creech's house. And here I am. I'm telling them Mike Colley was there. Mike Colley was a giant. Do you remember Mike Colley? Do you remember Rodney Creech? Mark? We're all sitting in his house, you know, and I'm telling I'm going to live for the Lord. Mike Colley. You know, Rodney Creech. Rodney Creech, he's the funniest thing you've ever been around in your life. He couldn't even talk. He was so messed up. He said, Ka-e. Well, that's not Colley's name. It's not Ka-e. It's Colley. Hey, Ka-e. <laughs> anyway, he's so messed up he couldn't even talk. Now, you, you act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Like you never... You know what happens when you can't even pronounce the last name of a person. Something's... Anyway. And Mike Colley looks at me and I tell him I'm going to live as a Christian and Mike Colley says, you've had a taste of the good life. You're not going to make it. I looked at Kae and I told him, Mark... I said, you watch me. That was over 30 years ago. I've been living for God for 30 years. I've never looked back. So he was wrong when he told me. Because he, see, he told me that partying, that was the good life. He said, you've tasted the good life. You won't live for him. You won't make it. I said, you watch me. And to the glory of God, I've been living for the Lord for 30 years. For 30 years, I haven't drank anything. For 30 years, I haven't smoked anything. For 30 years, I've lived for the Lord. Hallelujah. So when he said, you've tasted the good life, I'm going to tell you, that's not the good life. Living for Jesus Christ is the good life. Living for the Lord is not depriving me of a good life. Living in sin is what deprives you of a good life. These people couldn't even get up and live life. They were deprived of living life. Deprived of a good life. Because that's what sin does to you. Don't fall for the lie of the devil that tells you the world is the good life. No, living for God is the good life. Taste and see that the Lord, He is good. I'm living the good life. I'm not deprived. I was deprived when I was living in the world. I was deprived when I was living in sin. I was deprived of the good life when I didn't have God in my life. But now I'm in the church. God is in my life. I'm living the good life. I'm not deprived. The sinner's deprived. They'll come and say, you can't have fun anymore. If you start living as a Christian, one day in the house of the Lord, it's better than a thousand. 
outside of God. I want to tell you something. My best day without God. My best day without God. Doesn't even come close to my worst day. If you understand what I'm saying. My worst day living for God. Yes, I have battle. Yes, and so do you. And it sometimes is hard. But I'm going to tell you something. You're living the good life. When you live for the Lord. If you don't live for God, you're not living the good life. I've tasted to see that the Lord, He is good. You've been, you've seen people live in the world. And they come up to you and they say, you know, you're living the Christian life and you had to give up all the fun and, you know, you're just depriving yourself. And you look at yourself and you look like you're doing pretty good, man. You look and say, well, I don't feel deprived. You know? I don't feel deprived this morning. No, see, that's a lie from the pit of hell that tells you the world is the good life. No, Jesus Christ is the good life. Living for the Lord is the good life. Being in the house of God, that's the good life. I'm not deprived. I was deprived before I got God. I'm going to continue in His goodness. Taste and see that the Lord, He is good. And when darkness came into the land of Egypt, it so restricted them and so deprived them that they couldn't even live an active life. Don't let the enemy mess with your mind. I love living for the Lord. How many of y'all love living for God? How many of y'all remember where you came from? That wasn't the good life. It was death. It was destruction. It was a horrible way to live. No hope. Depression. Thank God for the truth that came to make us free. And your kids come to you and say, well, you're just trying to cheat me of the good life. No, no, no. You have the good life. You just don't know how good you got it. Say, praise the Lord. So we come in here and we act, oh, like we're really suffering, you know. Are you kidding me? Look what the Lord has done. I said, look what the Lord has done. He touched my mind. He healed my body. He saved me just in time. I don't want to, you know, and I came in when I was 18, you know. But I for sure don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to living like that. Where you can't even make out people's last names. Uh-uh. <laughs> Somebody say praise the Lord, man. Hallelujah. God gave me my mind, man. He gave me, He healed my mind. I'm the last one that should be up here preaching. I shouldn't even, my mind shouldn't even be functioning right. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, my Jesus is good. Living for Jesus is the right way. This is the right way to live, church. Hallelujah. This is the right way to live. I'm living the good life. 
You don't come over here and try to offer me the world and tell me that's the good life. No, I'm, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to tell you, no, 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 no. I'm living the good life right now. I'm living the good life. Hallelujah. You get people living in the world, living in darkness, and they're not, they're restricted and deprived of the good life. When they get around you, they ought to see the joy of the Lord in you. They ought to see you enjoying God. Hallelujah. They, when they walk in your house, even though you might be in battle, they shouldn't see you all depressed. It, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're doing great. How about you? Not so good. We are. Oh, look at the blessings of the Lord in my life. How's your life going? Not so good. We're doing great. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Don't you wish you had what I got? Look how good God's been to me. Look how good God's been to my family. Look how good God's been to this church. Don't you wish you had what I got? How you doing? Doesn't look like you're doing so good. I'm doing good. So you better think about it before you start trying to make an exit away, away from the living God. You're not going into the good life. You're going into misery. You're going into despair. You're going into darkness. You're going, are you, you're going into death. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. Thank you, Jesus. I love Him. I love Him. I never have a complaint about the Lord. Never. I never complain about God. I don't complain about God. I don't complain to God about God. I'm, I'm a satisfied customer. Look at your name and help me preach right now. Tell them I'm a satisfied customer. You're looking at a satisfied customer. I have no complaints about my God. My God's been good to me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. i got goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. God is good. Amen? It's wonderful to live for God. It's just the enemy he wants to come and tell you otherwise. How many of y'all believe the word of the Lord today? I'm not going to fall for his lies. How many of y'all glad you're in the church? <clears throat> you glad you're in the church this morning? Well, 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 what's wrong with you? You should, you could be in jail right now. You, you want that? Would that be better? I'm glad I'm in the church. You, you could be in a hospital bed right now. But God touched your body. You could be in an insane asylum, but God touched your mind. You could be in a divorce court this morning, but God healed your marriage. You could be bankrupt, but God touched your finances. There's divine dividends. When you serve God, there are divine dividends. You need some of you need to tell your face. You do. You need to tell your face. You need to tell your face. You're going to heaven. You need to tell your face. 
Hallelujah, you're saved. You need to tell your face. I need to tell mine sometime. Bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Hallelujah. You might be going through something, but they should still see the joy of the Lord. Amen. There ought to be something about my life that they see, they want. Praise God. How many of y'all glad you're in the church? Go to Romans chapter 11. I get ready to close. Boy, you start complaining about having to go to church all the time. Sure beats going to jail all the time. It sure does. It sure, it sure beats taking antidepressant drugs. Praise the Lord. Y'all all right? Romans chapter 11. Let's look at it. Behold therefore the goodness and, and severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou shalt, thou also shalt be cut off. It's good to live for God. Romans 11.22, you continue in his goodness. If you don't continue in his goodness, severity. That's exactly what was going on in Egypt. They were experiencing the severity of God. But the Bible goes on and says that there was light in Israel. The people of God didn't have that darkness in their homes. They had light. They didn't have the severity of God. They had the goodness of God. We need to thank God. We need to be more thankful. We, we, we really do. Somebody say praise the Lord. How many of y'all want to continue in the goodness of God? How many of y'all want to keep living the good life? Hallelujah. It's, you, 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 you can't. You can't beat this. You can't beat this. Amen. You can't beat this. You can't do it. I think sometimes when we try to go too, for too much in the world, that that starts stealing our joy. He is sufficient. He's a sufficient God. Praise the Lord. You, you live for God with all of your heart. I tell you, you live for God with all of your heart. You do it God's way. You're going to have a deep-seated joy on the inside of you. It's only when you and I start trying to replace Him with other things that we start losing our joy. He's a great God. Hallelujah. I tell you today, as your pastor, Friend, family, or foe. If you leave God, this is the, this is the thing that governs my life. And I'm not saying this self-righteously. Let me turn it around before I say it. The way I was going to say it. If your pastor ever leaves the Word of God, your pastor has left God. 
And if your pastor leaves God, you need to leave your pastor. You don't stay in a church where that pastor has stopped preaching the Word of God. You get out of that church as fast as you possibly can. Because that man, if he's left the Word of God, he's left God. And you better leave that man. And I'll say it to you this way. Friend, family, or foe. You leave God. You leave the Word of God or you leave God, I leave you. You leave the Word of God, you leave God individually. That's where I check out. You leave the Word of God, you leave God corporately. I'll check out. But as long as I'm preaching the Word of God, you have no reason to leave me. And as long as you're living by the Word of God and you don't live, leave God, I have no reason to leave you. But I'm telling you, this is the thing that controls and governs my life. You leave God. I'm not going with you. Not gonna do it. I'm gonna keep living for God and you go on. But I've made up my mind. I'm gonna live for the Lord. As for me and my house, we're gonna live for the Lord. We're gonna serve God. And if you don't want to, I'm gonna keep living for Him. I'm gonna keep serving Him. I've got the good life and you go on your way. But I'm not going with you. I tell you right now as a church, you leave the Word of God, you leave God, and I'm not going with you. Because I'm not going to hell. I made up my mind a long time ago, no matter how straight and how narrow, by the grace of God, I'm going to live. I'm going to live for Him. And if my kids don't live for Him, I'm going to. If my children don't live for me, for him, I'm going to. If my wife don't live for him, well, she's going to. I'm going to live for him. My kids are going to live for him. I say in the name of Jesus, my daughter will live for him. My son-in-law will live for him. My son will live for him. I declare it in Jesus' name. My wife will live for him. But if they don't, you've got to make up your mind. I'm going on with God. And I'm not going with you. That's the decision that governs and controls my life. And I don't just say it with my mouth. I live it because I believe it. You say, that's pretty radical. Well, I have to be radical. And you've got to be radical when it comes to the things of God. I'm preaching some of you. Your husband's not in the church. You made up your mind. You go ahead, but I'm not going with you that way. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to live for God. Some of your wives didn't want to live for God. You made up your mind, I'm going to live for God. Praise the Lord, she went her way. Just wonder how happy they are today. No, I'm not going with you. I said, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you to that path of destruction. I'm not going to hell with a church. I'm not going to hell with an individual. You can't go to church for an individual. You can't, go, you can't follow a pastor into hell if he's misleading you. You hear what I'm saying? If you do, give God praise. 
It goes both ways. I'm not just pointing a finger at you. I'm pointing a finger at myself. If I stop living for God, you follow me as I follow Christ. If I stop following Christ, you better get off that road. I ain't having nothing to do with it. See what I said right there. It's a fine line of separation, man. Are you willing to make that decision in your own life? God makes a distinction. His people are in the light. His people are blessed. He says, continue in His goodness. If you don't continue in His goodness, you'll be cut off and you'll experience the severity of God. How crazy would it be if you decided the severity of God for me to walk with you into that severity? How crazy is it for some of you? The people make decisions to walk in the judgment of God and you want to walk with them. No. You walk with God, I'll walk with you. Can two, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. If you don't agree with my Jesus, if you don't agree with my God, you don't agree with me. And I can't walk with you. Give God a hand clap of praise. It has nothing to, nothing at all about being self-righteous. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. Hallelujah. I believe with all my heart, church, Jesus is my God. He's my God. He's... My family's not my God. My children's not my God. My wife's not my God. This church is not my God. You're not my God. He's my God. And I made up my mind to follow Him whithersoever He goeth. And if you want me, you're going to find me right here. I said, if you want me, you're going to find me right here. Well, we want to see you. You know where I am. You know where I am. Well, I didn't get too many amens there. But that's alright. I can still testify and tell you what controls my decisions. Whether you want to follow that or not, that's totally up to you. That's what controls my decision. How many of y'all want to walk with Jesus? Then I'm going to walk with you. You want to walk with the devil. You're not going to see me there. This is a good life, Brother Heath. I don't want that world. I don't want it. It doesn't have anything to offer. Thank you for the two or three that said amen. Then okay? You know what will happen to you if you put your approval on something that has the judgment of God on it? You're an accomplice. And you bring the judgment of God on yourself. I don't want that. Man, I want the blessings of God. Okay? So anybody ever come to you and say, Hey man, you need to come back and join us. Hey, we miss you, man. We, did you ever have anybody when you got in the church say, Hey, we miss you. Come on back over here and party with us. Join us. Come on. 
What'd you tell him? Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, we can still be friends, bud. Um, I'm living a different life. You won't have to worry about giving them up. They give you up. Because <laughs> I want to tell you something. When you really get on fire for God and you serve Him with all your heart and every time they get around you, all you can do is talk about God, the goodness of God. Hallelujah, what He did for you. Pretty soon, if they don't want God, they're not going to hang out around you. You won't have to give them up. They drop you like a hot potato. Amen. <laughs> when I stood up that day and I told them, they said, you've tasted the good life. I said, no, I haven't tasted the good life. I'm going to live for the Lord. When I made up my mind to be a Christian, guess what happened? They dropped me like a hot potato. Problem is, some of you are not living the way you're supposed to live. You should be salt in this earth. When people get around you, they're making decisions. i got to get away from this person because all they talk about is Jesus. Are they kind of like hanging around you because you're a compromiser? Mm-hmm. Don't lean back too far. One guy leaned so far he fell right out of the window and it killed him. Yeah, I, I didn't know you liked that, Pastor. Look at my baby blues. I'm like that. Jesus is real to me. He's the, he's the, hallelujah. Spiritually speaking, Jesus Christ is the love of my life. He's the love of my life. I love Him more than anything. Ain't nobody going to replace him. Nobody can replace him. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> praise God. You go out there and you try to witness to him. You try to win him. But you can't walk the path they're walking. If you live the way you're supposed to live, they'll either join you or they'll drop you like a hot potato. I promise you. Amen. So before you, before you think about getting rid of me, think about what I'm saying to you this morning. I made up my mind. How many of y'all made up your mind? Let me give you an opportunity. I'm not going to up here and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about what I do. What about you? You made up your mind yet? You made up your mind? Hallelujah. Their whole life was shut down. Their, if you will, their good life was shut down. Don't look like they were doing too good. But the Bible says, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. You got light in your dwelling. Life and light. Don't trade, don't, 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 don't try to play both sides. Don't do it. It don't work. 
You make up your mind. This is the way I'm going. Still got light in you? <clears throat> How many of y'all still have light in you? You still got light in you? Well, the Bible says that light that's be in you if it's turned to darkness, how great is that darkness? If you had the light and it's turned to darkness, how great it is. Let your light shine. Somebody say praise the Lord. Help me preach. If you believe what I'm preaching, tell your neighbor, I'm living the good life. Not looking for an alternative. This is it. I made up my mind. I made up my mind. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Another compromise. Let's have some more dialogue, he said. Okay, you can go, but leave your flocks behind. Leave your herd behind. Leave your substance behind. The enemy will come to you and he'll tell you, try to live for God, but don't sacrifice. He'll tell you, try to live for God, but don't bring your substance. Let me say this to you. If you don't make an investment in the church, you'll be the first one to quit the church. First people that quit the church are the people that don't make an investment in the church. You make an investment in the kingdom of God. You don't let the devil come to you and say... Well, just leave your stuff. Leave your substance. No, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. If you keep the tithe, you rob God because that tithe belonged to the Lord. I'm going to bring my substance. I'm going to bring my offerings to the Lord. I'm going to bring my tithes to the Lord. I am not going to try to live for God without sacrifice. Pharaoh said this, said leave the sacrifice behind. If you leave the sacrifice behind, you have no forgiveness because you have no blood atonement. I can't leave Jesus behind. He's the one that gives me forgiveness of sins. I can't leave Jesus behind. What are you going to do without Him? How are you going to get to heaven? How are you going to escape hell if you don't have Jesus, the sacrifice in your life? He's the only one that's going to get me out of that coffin. He's the only one that's going to get me into heaven. There is no other way, church. There is no other way. It is straight. It is narrow. It's darkness, which is hell. Or it's light, which is paradise. There is no other way. That's why you've got to make up your mind today. There is no other way but Jesus Christ. He's my sacrifice. And then when He comes to my life for in the area of service, not for forgiveness of sin, but for service, and He requires of me a sacrifice, I've got to say, my stuff belongs to Him. My substance belongs to Him. He comes from my house. It belongs to Him. If it comes from my car, it belongs to Him. If He comes from my bank account, it belongs to Him. But the devil will come and say, no, no sacrifice. You can worship, but don't bring anything. If you're that kind of person this morning, you'll be the first one to quit the church because you have no investment. 
When the enemy comes to you with test and trial, when God brings test to your life, the enemy brings, the enemy brings test and temptation to your life to quit the church, I promise you, if you've made an investment, it's going to be hard to quit. You know what the Bible says? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If Jesus doesn't have my substance, if He doesn't have my sacrifice, He doesn't have my heart. But when you make an investment with your substance and you bring and you give and not just come to get all the time. And it's not just money. You know, Brother Hector's up here and other men up here are doing the, the cleanup around the church. They're making an investment. I'm going to tell you something. I, I highly doubt I'll ever see that man leave the church. And I know he was here because he called me and he was telling, asking me some questions. And what I'm saying to you, church, is this. Is that when you're out there making an investment on the grounds of the church and you're serving God, you've got joy inside of you. You've got fulfillment on the inside of you. And it'll be really hard for you to walk away something you put your blood, sweat, and tears into. Prayer is important. Reading your Bible is important. But sometimes taking a, a mop in your hand or a weed eater in your hand or something... What you're doing, brothers and sisters, you're making an investment. And when the enemy tries to come, and he will, it's hard to take you out. You just have put so much into the kingdom of God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Make some investments. Not just financially. Make some investments of your time. Amen. But the enemy came through Pharaoh and said, no, leave your flocks behind. Don't sacrifice. Don't do anything. Leave it behind. It belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Okay. How many of y'all believe that? Do you understand the Bible? There's a principle in the Bible. That if you bring a tithe, 10%, that God counts it as the whole? He doesn't just count it as a 10% or a tithe. He counts it as if you brought the whole 100%. Man, you talk about an awesome God. You get to keep 90% and He asks you to bring 10%, but yet He still gives you credit for 100%. <laughs> That's a principle in the Word of God. Isn't that wonderful? How many of y'all made some investments here in the work of God here, in the kingdom of God here? You've made some investments. Go ahead, lift your hand. If you didn't lift your hand, I'm going to... Okay, you're fixing to leave. You're fixing to leave. You're fixing to leave. You're, okay, yeah, you too. You're, yeah, you're fi it won't be long. You'll be gone too. So go ahead. You're not, you're not being a Pharisee. How many of y'all made some investments in the kingdom of God? Good. That, see? That, that keep you, man. That, that keep you. Praise the Lord.
I love living for God. I raise my children in this church. Amen? Victoria was born when we started the church. On Brazos, I raised my daughter in this church. My son's 15. I raised my son. We, when we got this building, he was born. When we got the first building, she was born. My children mark the beginnings. How can I walk away from the church? How can I walk away from this? I mean, you might want to get rid of me, but it's, you know, I, I can't just walk away from it myself. You know what I'm saying? My daughter was born when we started the church. Jeremiah was born when we got this one, this building. These are marking points for my life. I raised my kids here. How can I leave this? Some of y'all, I've been around over 20 years. We've been around investing in you, you investing in me, you know. How in the world are you going to sever relationships like that? Not long ago, somebody left here and went to another church. Brother, he said to me, he said, how could they do that after 16 years of being here? I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. You just can't fathom it. You make some investments of your, your time, your emotion into people and their lives and into the kingdom of God and serving God, it, it's going to be hard for the devil to pull you out of that. How many of y'all believe the Word of God? That's why He doesn't want you to bring your flocks and your herds, bring your sacrifice. Thank God for the opportunity. I don't boast... If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my God. I thank God for the opportunity to invest my life, my time. Can the enemy, if he comes to you, take that investment away from you? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Moses said, verse 25, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not what with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. In order for us to serve God, we got to have substance to give to God. And say, we know, we know one thing, church, and when you're asking your mind, what does the Lord want me to do with my life? You start by doing what you know to do. They knew what they needed to do was to bring sacrifice to God. They knew that. And then he says, God will show us the rest. 
We don't know what He's going to require. I can't tell you, church, what God is going to require of each and every one of you individually as you serve God. I can't tell you that. But you can start with what you know. Give what you know. And then God will reveal to you what else He needs, what else He wants. That's what Moses said. We know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. I know one thing. I've got to bring some sacrifices. I know that. And then once I go further in the kingdom of God serving Him, He's going to show me further revelation of what He wants me to do. Brother Jared comes to me sometimes. He feels called to preach as I come to a close. He's got a call on his life. He says, Pastor, well, what do I do next? I said, you keep doing what you know to do. And God will reveal it to you gradually. Okay? That's what you do. Do what you know. And God will reveal the rest. Amen. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. He's driven, Moses is driven from the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, If you see my face again, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. Huge mistake. Huge mistake for Pharaoh to send Moses away. Huge mistake. If I see your face again, I'm, you're going to die. Pharaoh, you will see Moses' face again. But when you do, it's when one of your family members Huge mistake. Moses says in verse 29, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. At least at that moment, he's fixing to leave, go. At that moment, Pharaoh won't see him. But in the future, when Pharaoh's got a dead baby in his arms in the tenth plague, he will send for Moses. He will see Moses again. Amen. I pray this morning this message has been a blessing to you. Many facets. It's like a diamond. It's a diamond. It's a many faceted diamond. This chapter has many facets to it. I pray that each one of those facets will be a blessing to your life as you go forward and make decisions in living for the Lord and serving God with all of your heart. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, I thank You right now for Your goodness and mercy. I thank You, God, today for a good life. I thank You for blessing my life, blessing my children, blessing my family, blessing this church. I pray, Lord, that You would be honored in what has been preached here this morning. I pray for each and every one of us and we would take the Word of God that we have heard, apply it to our lives. Let it govern our life, control our life. Let us live by it. 
thank you, Lord, for everything we've heard. And I thank you, Lord, that days to come, by your Holy Spirit inside the believer, you will quicken these words, rhema words, to give direction to them and to myself. We make up our mind, Lord, to serve you with all of our hearts this morning. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you lift your hands and thank God?